with the murder of George Floyd, there was this renewed sense of self-reflection around what is it to be multicultural? How can I be more multiculturally attuned? I felt like there, there could be a way to measure a company's true commitment to those initiatives. It's complex. It took us almost, you know, 18 months to get this figured out. So it was solid and, and we felt confident that it was a very strong tool. There were data sources coming from all different places. We had to do some web scraping to get some additional information. We have nine different data components that are configured within the algorithm. And I, I won't be surprised if we add at least another three here in the next six months. Brands are being held accountable. You cannot just talk the talk anymore. You have to walk the walk. the podcast for those who give a shit about advertising. Loud and Clear is produced and created from the headquarters of Lerma Advertising, this time, for the first time ever, recording at our offices in downtown Dallas, Texas. We are on our fourth season, and this is our first episode of the season. This is your host, Francisco Cárdenas, and production is Rolf Ruiz. Today, we have a very special set of guests. First of all, they are three, which is uncommon for Loud and Clear, but the topic today deserves a crew, as it is this crew who led the creation of our proprietary tool that uses the acronym BP, which stands for Brand Inclusivity Performance Index. Our guests are Lisbeth Zimmerman, Shannon Dumbar-Rubio, and Pedro Lerma. Lisbeth Zimmerman is the co-founder and principal at Quadratic. She is to me the queen of data sciences, CRM, and analytics. She is a fan of learnings of Brene Brown, and I am too. Be vulnerable, my friends. A shining star class of 2020 by the AAF, and a leader in the industry to help brands and projects inform their decisions with more than just a hunch. What I love about Lisbeth and her team is that on top of all the foundational data and analysis, they ask common sense and context. Lisbeth and her team are never blinded by mere numbers. Welcome, Lisbeth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. To my left, I have Shannon Dunbar-Rubio. Uh, Shannon is the director of Planet Lerma. She's a relentless seeker of truth, an insight and passionate about analysis and making sense of it all. I've had the pleasure of working with Shannon for over 20 years, and my greatest memories are when we ran Hispanic for Southwest Airlines. She has also published a couple of research papers, including Millennials Deconstructed, and I can safely say that she's in constant pursuit of understanding trends and consumer behavior here at Lerma. Shannon, so happy to do an episode with you, finally. This is exciting. Thanks for having us here today. And last but not least, Pedro Lerma, to be completely transparent, the executive producer of this podcast and founder of the agency. Pete, <laughs> Pete has never settled with the norm and he's always looking at what is next. Surely the state of the country could not stay static and as awareness for diversity of inclusion grew, at Lerma we were already quite aware of the importance and value of recognizing culture. It's in our DNA 
but Pete made sure we were aware that there was work that needed to be done. He has been pushing the concept of diversity and inclusion way before the term became, I would say, a trendy topic in the industry. And BP, the tool that we're going to talk about, is only one of the projects that reflect his passion and the passion of the agency. Thanks, Pancho. <laughs> so let's get started. And like Rolf, our producer, normally says, uh, it's easier to start from the beginning. So if you don't mind, Pete, could you start and giving an overview of what is BP? What is this tool? What's sure. going on? I'll start by going back a couple of I went to the Cannes Festival of Creativity, I think in 2019, and one of the uh, consistent topics there was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it seemed that the advertising industry really had a, a, a vacuum of, of that, of knowledge, of experience, of any kind of real implementation, putting diversity, equity, and inclusion into practice. And so as, as I thought about that, it occurred to me that as a multicultural agency, we have been attuned to the multicultural mindset for our entire existence. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that would give us an advantage in really helping other companies navigate this new territory. And as a result, I, I decided at that point to launch a separate practice that focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is called Inclusivista. Mm -hmm. In 2020, you know, beyond the advertising agency, uh, or the advertising industry, the world had what I call a multicultural awakening. And that was with the murder of George Floyd, there was this renewed sense of self-reflection around what is it to be multicultural? How can I be more multiculturally attuned? How do we be better as a society? Mm -hmm. and, and I think society reflected on it, companies reflected on it, and certainly the advertising industry reflected on it. And so that pushed me into a different territory a little bit, and that was for us to create a tool that would help companies become better multicultural corporate citizens. And so what we saw in 2020 and, was... And just to interrupt you, this was a, a mindset that was brewing all across the industry and across the world. And a lot of, I, I remember a lot of people talking about it, certainly posting on social media, mm -hmm. but not all of them doing something about it. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing. There were lots of people saying, we are going to take on these new initiatives. We're going to commit to being better. And so, and, and in some cases, companies did take action. I think that's great. But I felt like there, there could be a way to measure a company's true commitment to those initiatives. And so we set about trying to figure out how that might happen. Organizations that score corporations on their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and, and they give them a score. They give them an index on how multicultural they are. And, and so that was... And that has to do with how they're composed, their yeah, employees? It, it has to do with the programs that they put in place. Yes, the percentages of, of multiculturalism that they have at different tiers within their organization. And, and so that was one point of reference. And I thought, well, what could we do to go even further beyond that, to measure how is a, how is a business, how is a brand behaving as it relates to its multicultural segments? And when I say multicultural segments, I, I really mean that in the broadest sense of the term, where it's not just based on ethnicity, 
Mm-hmm. It is gender. It is identity. It is things like veterans or single moms or just thinking of everybody, special, right? Special needs, yeah. Right? And and so we we started to dig in, and I thought, well, if if a company is uh, committing to those kinds of efforts, if a company is uh, doing any marketing outreach that would be considered multicultural. Let's give them credit. Let's see how much they're spending in multicultural media, whether that's Hispanic, uh, African-American or Asian you know, focused media. If they're doing work that is more than just a translation of their general market work, I thought, let's give them credit for that. You know, another measure was, are they committing anything philanthropically to underrepresented uh, segments of society? Mm-hmm. So. Are they funding any programs that help, again, those underrepresented uh, members of society? And so I think when you start to put a number of those variables together, it gives you an idea of truly how committed a brand might be toward becoming a more, a better multicultural corporate citizen. Walk the walk, yeah. Walk the walk, I think that's important. It is a, you know, an idea that I've tried to apply to us. You know, I want us to walk our talk you know, when we right. say something, we need to go out there and we need to live up to it. And so I wanted uh, a way to look at brands and so that consumers could feel good about, you know, this brand really is walking its talk. So you put some some team members in a room, one of them being Shannon, yep. and you say, you explain this and you say, let's make it happen. Yep. Let's figure out how we can include all or most brands in the United States and score them yeah and you know shannon is one of our senior planning directors at the agency she's someone who's been critical in the launch of inclusivista so i know that she's got a passion and a commitment around this uh, this thinking she's our kind of data as it relates to planning you know shannon loves research and the tools that are out there to help us measure things you know related to what we do so she was really important in, in taking what I had as an idea and starting to put some guardrails around it and looking for data sources that we could incorporate, you know, create some kind of the data input. And then we had to figure out how do we do the math? And that's where Lisbeth The method. For sure. That was, Lisbeth, that's how it all know, came we, together. We wanted it to be, you know, rooted in, in data. We wanted it to be scientific. We wanted it to be, you know, mathematically fair. And so uh, Lisbeth and Shannon were critical to that part of it. So Shannon, when you were challenged to do this task, what went through your mind and how does BP work? Well, first of all, I thought it was a fantastic concept, but a bit of a challenge, as you can imagine, is where do you where do you really start? So in the basic terms, the way the interface works right now is you go and you visit the site, you plug in any brand that you want, you enter the, the brand name and click enter. It does require you to enter your contact information so we can send you follow-up scoring, but then it, it simply gives you a score, which is basically an index. And so it's super simple and you can put in multiple brands and repeat the process accordingly. So the interface itself is real easy. What's really complex is the back-end algorithm that Lisbeth helped derive. It's almost like Google search. You go in and uh-huh. you, if there's exactly. a bar, you plug it in and the result comes out. Cool. See? And then wh- where did you start? I know I know we do a lot of research, Simons and, and how brands are composed, the audiences. I remember, was it 
over 5,600. 5,600 brands, yeah, a little bit more than that. And that was that was a bit of the conundrum is, you know, how do you find a source that represents every brand right. um, here in the country? And so we turned to our internal resources that we have access to, included MRI Simmons, We've got Scarborough, we've got you know a whole myriad of, of different tools that we tap into on a daily basis. And we really started there. Like what are those easy data sets that we can get the greatest bang for our buck? And we went in specifically to the MRI Simmons tool to determine how many different brands exist. Again, to your point, it, it was mm-hmm. a little over 5,600 different brands, which was you know really good way to start. And we took a look for each one of those brands and the sub-brands, so you may have a Procter and Gamble, but then you may have a Crest toothpaste. So there was, you know, how do we discern the parent company from some of the sub brands that they own? And that again was a bit of a challenge. But we took first a look at the multicultural, you know, the different racial segments that frequent those brands okay. already. So Who already attracted. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we broke it down to white non-Hispanic, black non-Hispanic, Asian non-Hispanic, other non-Hispanic, and then Hispanic specifically, and then eliminated the white, white non-Hispanic and looked at those multicultural subsets to really just understand how are they already performing among the different ethnic audiences. So that was a basis. But you know, a lot of those brands, they have agencies and media partners, et cetera, that already provide that information. It's mm-hmm. like really how proprietary Marketers would know that. Yeah, though. marketers would absolutely <laughs> know that. We would hope so. And if they don't, you know, yeah. call us. But, you know, then what became the challenge is how can we really make this more proprietary? And, and not just proprietary. because Useful. Yeah, well, in, in a realistic view of diversity initiatives, because... To Pete's point, we weren't just looking at how they're currently performing in in terms of their targeting, but what are they doing as an organization to walk the walk? You know, are they involved in different organizations that support, yes, that support gender equality, pay equality, LGBTQ, lots of different organizations. There's, you know, hundreds that are out there right now and many are fantastic. And also their board members. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of these, I think that's a a huge initiative right now among a lot of, especially the enterprise companies that are out there, they're being held accountable. Yeah. You know, they want to see greater diversity throughout their entire organization. And that doesn't mean they're entry level folks. It's all the way up to the top. So what, which one of those brands and the companies that own them are really making strides in doing that and making commitments? Fortunately, there were, we found as we were kind of digging through different resources, that there were some lists that were already scoring these types of things and looked at it holistically and not just in terms of multiculturalism. So we looked at Refinitiv. They've got a fantastic resource. Um, oh yeah, I remember Pete also Right, they have a list of the top 100 most diverse and inclusive companies and it, it, it um, accounts for all of those things, you know, community, board of directors, media investments, etc. Mm-hmm. We also looked at Forbes, which has this fantastic list of America's best employer for diversity and incorporated that. And then there's, you know, a whole bunch of other resources that we tapped. And that's when you reached out to Lisbeth. Well, yeah, so because you... that was the that was a challenge is, you know, obviously we started with over 5,600 brands. Right, but not every single one of those brands is listed in Forbes or right. listed in Refinitiv or Nielsen or you know. So you have to build a methodology mm-hmm. that could make sense. That was not perfect necessarily, right? But that could make sense and be directional 
on with the information available. Right. Is that right? Yeah, and basically create a baseline. Okay. You know, which brands can can compare themselves to similar brands, you know, to people in this, their industry, people the same size, and also set a baseline as we move forward and, you know, update in the future that they can measure themselves against. So this is something that we have a version right now, but something that will be ongoing based on sources. Yes, yes. We've, you know, after kind of publishing this first round, you know, we've, we've gotten a chance to talk to other people in the industry and gotten some great ideas on ways that, that we can evolve the tool in the future and build upon it to make it, you know, an even stronger tool and an even better baseline for, you know, diversity and multiculturalism and inclusivity. So those are things that we'll think about as we move into the future. For example, not just looking at who a brand is serving, but how is that changing over time? Okay. You know, if, if, if brands are making efforts to uh, be more inclusive and be more diverse, do we see that in the numbers as we pull data and look at trends over time? So that's like one example of something that that we can migrate towards in the future. That's cool. And, you know, you, you, were, you were talking about the interface of being as simple as plugging in your brand and then getting a result. But it seems, Lisbeth, that under the hood, pretty much like Google, there's a lot of data and huge Excel sheets and a lot of work from your team to make yes. that happen and bring those numbers to life. Yes. Can you I talk mean, a little bit about... I'll talk a little bit about it. Yes. I don't know that want <laughs> me to totally geek out. I will say, I mean, we were super excited to get involved. You know, I work with a bunch of of math nerds and data geeks, you know, and we really... You always feel powerful when you have quadratic on your side. We, yes. we get really jazzed by by that sort of work, but where, where it's even more important is when we get to align that type of work with our values. And this was a wonderful opportunity to do that. That's not always the case. You know, a lot of times we're just helping brands make more money and, right. you know, be more efficient. But this was really something where we could align all our geekiness with something fun and interesting and meaningful. So there was a lot of work behind the scenes. They, there were data sources coming from all different places. We had to do some web scraping to get some of the information. Oh, additional. Uh, additional information. A lot of it was alignment of the different data sources. Shane alluded to the fact that there's parent brands and sub-brands and, ah, that's a you challenge. know, like large Sub -sub corporations <laughs> that own brands that own other brands that own other brands. And so the proctors and the, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and aligning all those data sources, that was a lot of work. And then it was really determining what algorithm makes sense? How should we be weighting the different components? We, you know, we had the MRI Simmons, which is a great baseline on who brands are serving. And then we had all the information about the organizations that they are associated with and the investment that they're making, you know, with multicultural agencies. And then the different lists that Shannon alluded to, which, which include a lot of things, but they also include a lot of consumer perception. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to be walking the walk. It's It doesn't matter if consumers don't know that you're doing it. And so we felt like we needed to balance those three components. And so that was a lot of the math that went into it. It's just making sure that, that brands were getting credit for each of those components. And that's interesting what you're saying, because there might be a lot of brands that are truly committed, but they're not doing enough efforts to communicate that to that sub-segment or to that, you know, 
portion of their audience. And that's something that you might, one of the questions I have that I'm gonna ask all of you is, if I'm a marketer, what's my experience and what's the result? But if I'm a marketer and I go into it and I, I'm, I'm scoring not as high, it might not be that I'm not doing enough. It might be that I'm not just talking about it or, or putting it out there. To, in order to make a difference, right? Well, and that's a really good point. I think it's one of the learnings we've had with Inclusa Vista is there's these companies who are making great strides and they're setting objectives and you know strategic blueprints to have fundamental change over the next year, two years, five years. But then they're failing to actually communicate that out. And not just to consumers, obviously that is you know first and foremost on, on tops of our minds, but it's really internal communications as well. So if you think of a large organization that has either several branches, operations, or even franchisees, right? Mm -hmm. how, are, how is that corporation communicating those goals and their expectations as an organization out to their internal organization so that they, you know, all the spokes are working together? And then obviously do the consumers and the, and the public who are making decisions of whether or not to support your brand more now than ever, are they fully aware that you really are committed to walking the walk? This isn't just smoke and mirrors and you're not just saying it because you've got to say it these days. Yeah. Um, but really making a difference. So let's say I'm a marketer and I go in right now and I plug in my brand and I get the result. What do I make of it? Well, what I would say is <clears throat> hopefully it's not a surprise to you, <laughs> you know, a lot of brands, I mean, they know if what they're doing, they're living up to, to these commitments or not. I mean, we've even had conversations with brands like Nike, where yeah. you might give them credit for being super progressive, but when you talk to their internal people, you know, they will admit we've got, we've got issues. And Which actually Nike on the BP tool doesn't score as high. Sure. But, but again, from, from, I think a consumer perspective, you kind of want to give them that credit, you know, but they shared with us, you know, they have pay inequality issues and gender, you know, kind of, kind of They've promoting, their... promoting, you know, women into executive and, and board positions. And so hopefully it's not a surprise to you as a company when you come and you see your score. But what I would say too is I would hope that then you wouldn't want to engage us to, to say or to answer the question, okay, how do we get better? At that point, we could do, I think, a more detailed breakdown of where the shortcomings are and guide you on how to improve in those areas. And the response might be, you know, that somebody says, well, that that sounds unfair. Uh -huh. And if they were to, to connect with us and share with us, maybe some of the information that they haven't put out there in the public realm about their efforts, we could make adjustments and say, okay, well, here is a more accurate score. But again, I. I'm pretty sure we could uncover areas where they need improvement. And so I think the tool in that sense could be incredibly beneficial. You know, the score to me, getting your score is step one. Right. Uh, in, you know, and the score goes from yikes to amazing and great, pretty good, getting there, fall behind in between, which is cool, no? It kind of tells yeah. you. And it's very creative in yeah. the way the responses. Yeah, and it gives you, you know, some other brands that are within that same range so that you have a point of reference. Again, you know, a lot of times you can think of another brand and you go, you have an idea of you know, how multicultural they are or not. And so I think those points of reference are, are beneficial, 
as a brand looks at its own score. Yeah, and and yeah, the the I I see, you know, this being as as an alert or or indication of of improvement, and you can reach out to us, but there's a ton of. Well, I don't know a ton, but there's companies also helping. So we are one of them. We're trying to take action. But the important thing is that we make ourselves better. And this is a tool that could potentially indicate that there's a good reason to do so. So I went, you know, given that it's January and the Super Bowl is coming. And well, we're working on, on, on a campaign also for one of our clients for the Super Bowl. But I was like, I'm curious to see within the list of brands within the Super Bowl, how are they doing? And I, I pulled down free, you know, we have a result that's the to, to pretty good is pretty good, you know, to be fair. And Frito-Lay and Pepsi landed within that. And it seems to me that Frito-Lay and Pepsi, it's a, it's a global company, right? PepsiCo. Um, but maybe they focus too much. They, they are what they are in the countries they are. And maybe in the US, they're still what it was. I was like, how could it be pretty good? Pretty good is good but it can be amazing. So they might have focused too much in the US into a, a segment of their audience, but there might be an opportunity to improve. If I was a marketer there, I would say, okay, let's look into it. Another one I look, which are not as high, was Lace within. The, the result is you're so close to being close. I love that. General Motors, Taco Bell, and even Facebook fall within that category. So I think that's interesting. If you go in as, as you're going to the Super Bowl, which is a very American stage, if you will, but that's seen all over the world and it's seen by everybody. So just take that into So another question I had was, as brands evolve, as they should, how, how does the platform react to that? At least you were, you were talking about this not being the ultimate all method we can add and it and evolves and every, so, and then every, we should talk about every, how often are we gonna improve this or, or update it? But, you know, Facebook is now Meta, called Meta. What does that mean for a tool like this? Is it just changing the name? Is it taking other things into account? In, in a world where brands like this purchase, you know, back then Instagram or purchase WhatsApp, how does that come into account? I think the same way that as we think about updating it, brands are buying other brands and will roll up to other brands and may benefit from that because, you know, maybe a parent brand has an overarching kind of a component where they're doing a lot and working with a multicultural agency and, you know, the sub brand gets to kind of adopt the credit for that and, and gets to take advantage of that and, and that will evolve in the data right. as we revisit how brands are rolling up because it is constantly changing. There's acquisitions, there's partnerships, and I'm guessing as brands try to take action to be better, some of that will be through mergers, acquisitions, partnerships, right. and things like that. So we'll Bring in definitely that culture see in. that as we update, you know, moving forward. Ah, that's interesting. Well, and you have to think a lot of these lists, I mean, they are updated annually. So as they are released, we will get the new data sets integrated. So we're thinking this would be an annual kind of exercise where well, we would update. And, and all the lists are updated like in January. Right. So it has to be an iterative process, which we are working on constantly monitoring the different lists, etc. But the great thing is we've gotten 
so much attention for this tool already. We've had different partners and even other organizations that we're not affiliated with currently that have reached out to us and, and said, wait, how did you do this? Like, what's the methodology behind it? And what are the components and the factors that are being considered in the algorithm, et cetera? Because it, again, it's complex. It took us almost, you know, 18 months to get this figured out. So it was solid and, and we felt confident that it was a very strong tool. But and the methodology is on the in the yes, interface. it absolutely is. So you have a, a high level methodology right there available to, to read on the site. But there is a button if you want all the nitty gritty data science detail behind it all and understand the different parameters that, that we used. You can click on the link and download the actual methodology. And the, and, and the link is lermaagency.com forward slash BPBIPI. Correct. Okay. Right. But the great thing about talking to these other groups that are, you know, inquiring about how the tool really works is they have brought other ideas to the table. So we're obviously considering that. We constantly want, would like to strengthen this tool and ensure its accuracy. So we're monitoring other different data sets that we could integrate here move, moving forward. So I think we have, what, nine different data components that are configured within the algorithm. And I, I won't be surprised if we add at least another three here in the next six months cool. to really get it tighter and it'll constantly, constantly be updated. Get better. What kind of questions, have you gotten any questions or feedback from clients? I think, I think, you know, definitely part of building a tool like this is to spark conversation and, yeah. and interest. And definitely. I think questions have become when brands or even agency partners that we've talked to for their brands have wanted to know like why, like what components are helping them score themselves a certain way or a brand a certain way compared to another brand. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we can, we can get down into the weeds a little bit and go back and look at the data and give very clear specific answers of what's driving their score in a certain direction, especially compared to other brands and to give them maybe some specific things that, yeah. that they could, yeah. you know, work on or move forward with or think about, you know, as they continue to evolve. Yeah. And, and identify low hanging fruits, maybe yeah. put together a plan of what they can do on their end or if they need help or bring in experts yeah. if, yeah. if needed. Cool. And again, this isn't just external facing. This isn't just how they're doing out in the marketplace. This is how they're doing internally also as an organization. So, you know, how are they addressing diversity within the context of their HR? Yeah. How are they addressing diversity in their community, in their recruitment, et cetera? So it, it really does factor in holistically every component of DEI that they should be considering in the success of their business. That's already like starting almost, and we're not gonna go through that, but like a best practices list is what are you doing internally? What are you doing externally? Are you talking about it? Are you targeting? Are you spending money, you know, your media dollars? How are they being distributed amongst? Right. Well, and the great thing about this, and, and we all know that the dynamics from a demographic standpoint of our country are changing. It's inevitable. It's not, it's not gonna reverse. And, there are a lot of companies I feel like that that have potential for significant growth by tapping into some of these more underserved consumer constituents. And, you know, not just that, but innovating against them. You know, what do you already have that can be refined or modified in some way that would benefit a new consumer segment to, you know, obviously help with the growth of the company, but also show that authenticity of 
wanting to reach these different groups and and really wanting to help serve them and engage with them. Yeah. And I, I think it's important too, you know, for a long time we've said things like pro purpose rather, you know, brands should be more purposeful in what they do. They need to stand for something beyond just selling their product. And what we've been able to demonstrate over and over is that purpose and profit are not mutually exclusive. Mm. And, and what I would say here too is that being a progressive brand as it relates to multiculturalism, you know, that progressiveness and profit are not mutually exclusive. In mm. fact, you know, we have demonstrated over and over and we can, we, we do these exercises where we create what is the size of the prize if we make a concerted effort at really connecting in a meaningful, consistent, sustained way with this multicultural audience, what does it mean for the business? Mm -hmm. And over and over and over. It's more dollars. That you can, yes. It, yeah. You know, there's a business reason beyond just it being the right thing to do. So a takeaway there could be if you're, if you're having trouble convincing your board to, to move towards this approach, maybe, you know, talking about the bottom line could be a good excuse. And you know, board. that's a really good point. I think CEOs these days, I mean, obviously they have to prove shareholder value. And I feel like, yes, DEI is top of mind these days. Everyone, again, is, is recognizing the importance of it and wants to integrate it into their business objectives for the immediate and in the near future. But it's typically not as high on those scales of, of priorities than say, oh, let's increase our distribution or let's, you know, open new stores or let's, you know, invest in online, etc. And really what they need to understand is that it does definitely drive shareholder value. It definitely does increase the innovation within your organization because you have a much more diverse mindset that's coming together to provide new concept, new ideals, new products and services, you know, really cool things that are outside of the box that haven't been thought of in, in you know, traditional terms that they therefore can launch out into the market because they have diversity internally and they can target these underserved groups and recognize those incremental revenue streams. Mm -hmm. So my personal opinion, if I was sitting in the C-suite quarter office, is I would definitely make these one of one of my top three objectives because long-term it will produce incremental revenue growth. Yeah, I, that is a great point. Like I didn't even think of it from that context that it can actually help with innovation and mm -hmm. help, you know, like internally. The other way I was thinking of it, you know, you mentioned George Floyd is kind of this awakening. It was awakening for companies, but I think it was awakening for consumers as well, where I think people have always said that they make decisions about the brands that they associate with based on certain things, but I don't know that they were always doing it. You know, first it was consumers really taking action with companies that are more green, you know, and then the Me Too movement happened and consumers, you know, made decisions based on you know, a lot of the things going on in the industry. And now I think people are making decisions based on what companies are doing when it comes to DE&I. And yeah. so that's, that's going to continue from. into the future. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's an agency, public relations agency, Edelman, who has uh, a tool now called the Edelman Trust Barometer. And it looks at how consumers make decisions. And they are overwhelmingly making decisions 
to associate with brands that share their values. And so it is, I think they're, they're more activist consumers today than they ever have. And then you look at those younger generations that are so technologically savvy, they research everything. You know, if there's a brand that they are going to be loyal to, it, it's amazing, even within my own family, my, my teenagers, they know the background of the brands. And it better align with their values. And they absolutely do. Mm. And they get so upset if I go to the store and buy something off the shelf that mm. does not align mm. with those values. Funny, and yeah. I get, you know, whipped by noodles for that. But yeah. yeah. Well, and brands are being held accountable. Yeah. You cannot just talk the talk anymore. You have to walk the walk. So if I'm a marketer and as, as I've been trying to impersonate a marketer through this podcast and I go in and my brand is not there, what do I do? That's a great question. We would hope that they would reach out and contact us. Okay. They can click a link and send us you know, questions and comments. Some of the data sources will not have those smaller brands available. And with that, then that's when we have to really dig in and we can, you know, help come up with a solution of how we would be able to assess their DEI initiatives and where they would stand in, in terms of scoring. Okay. But that would have to be a custom custom approach. Okay. Well that's great. Well we're coming to a close. I think this topic definitely plays out of why Loud and Clear exists, which is challenging ourselves as an industry, as marketers, as ad men and women, students that are want to come into the field to, to, to make sure that how things are might not be okay or the best way we're doing things, but to constantly keep thinking how we can become better. And I think BP is something that uh, plays to that really well and, and, and adds value to that. So, so thank you for, for, for being our guest. Anything else you would want to add? Yeah, to this conversation. I would encourage if anybody has any questions or ideas on how to improve the tool, please reach out. We know of a data source that, yeah, that, that, that is too. available that would help enhance this. Yeah, I mean, this is a collaborative process. We love working with other we'll credit them. teams. Oh, absolutely. We're a very collaborative team in general. So if people do see their wink links or they feel like there's a way for us to enhance it, please reach out and let us know. Let's talk through I it. I love it. This should be a community and we should all uh, work towards open a common source. goal. Yeah. Open source it. Very good. Any, any other closing comments before we wrap it up? You know, I recently listened to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech again. Mm-hmm. And there was a line in there that really caught my attention. And it said something like, you know, we, we cannot at, at this time be okay with gradualism. That, I mean, in the way he talked about it was as a, as a drug that it would be kind of this intoxicating thing that would make you you feel like, well, we'll get there eventually, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's it was it was powerful and you know it said to me, we cannot rest. We cannot be, you know, satisfied with where we are. And and I think it's as it relates to how brands are behaving in the world today, they have to feel that way themselves. They have to feel like we cannot drink this in intoxicating elixir of gradualism will get there. They have to make bold commitments, which a lot of them have, and then they have to live up to them. And, you know, and if we can help a brand, you know, move in that direction in a meaningful way, then that, that to us is, is going to be incredibly rewarding. 
gives a purpose. Yeah. Like getting up in the morning and doing that is better than simply moving sales, right? For, for somebody. So great. Elizabeth, any final remarks? No, I'm just excited to be part of this. Thank so, you. No, this yeah. is this, the horsepower under the hood. I think it's super important. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Quadratic the, is the key. The queen of data sciences is what bunch of They're amazing. Like I've had... That was the best introduction. When we used to work with... <laughs> When we used to work with, with to me, it, it, it's like you guys are like angels because working with Metro and working with several of our clients, just having you guys on our side has been has been amazing. So I'm I'm very grateful. Absolutely. So thank you. Well, this is it. the The first episode of the fourth season of Loud and Clear. Is there anywhere that you want the audience to follow you or look for you in social media? It's also okay if if you guys don't want to. Share that. Either way, the link for the BP tool is on lermaagency.com forward slash BP and there's a contact information. Uh, I know Pete is pretty active in social media, so you can find them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. P. Lerma, is it your handle? Pedro Lerma. Pedro Lerma and... Shannon Denmark Rubio. Would love to continue the conversation and build a community. Also, if you're listening to this right now, We're hiring at Lerma, so reach out. We're looking for bright people that want to join the cause and, and have a little bit of more of a goal of purpose and getting things done. So this has been Loud and Clear, fourth season, first episode. Thank you so much. Uh, let's continue the conversation. We're out. Thank you.